what the heck are we doing in our schools? Why aren't we doing better? What's going on here? What what is the real state of our school lunches? So yes, that this is not meant to just attack school lunches and you know have parents feel guilty about their child eating it. This is meant with a long-term image of transforming the food supply so that everybody, no matter what your income, has access to healthy food. Okay, like our great grandparents did. There was no GMOs, there was no glyphosate sprayed on the food supply. There were there the food was all organic and healthy. Want to truly be the best parent you can be and help your child thrive after their autism diagnosis? This podcast is for all in parents like you who know more is possible for your child. With each episode, we reveal a secret that empowers you to be the parent your child needs now, saving you time, energy, and money, and helping you focus on what truly matters most, your child. I'm Cass. And I'm Len. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. This week, we're excited to welcome back Zen Honeycutt to the show. The topic, again, is getting food right for your family. It's an important topic, and this week, uh, we're diving into a very specific area where it's really important to get right. So just by way of background, Zen is the founder and director of Moms Across America. It's a not-for-profit national coalition of unstoppable moms. She has three boys with allergies and autism symptoms, which greatly improved when they went GMO-free and organic. She's a true force of nature, and she's undaunted by the resistance that seeks to downplay and confuse parents like you. For a general understanding of GMOs, why they're important, and the importance of eating organic, uh, tune into episode 103. Uh, That's our prior discussion And it will definitely leave you with an understanding that going organic is 100% worth it. But today, Zen and I and Cass are going to be talking about the results of testing that her organization just completed on school lunches. And the findings that came out of this study are eye-opening to say the least. So this discussion is going to shed light on what's going on and more importantly, what you, the parent, can do about it. And the secret this week is school lunches aren't safe, pack your own. So welcome, Zen. Thank you so much, Len. Thank you, Cass. And thank you to all the the listeners out there. I really appreciate your time. This is so important. It is so important. We're so excited you're here. So share, I mean, tell us the motivation and what actually you did and the results that you've discovered. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me on again. We, we've been doing glyphosate testing now for, I think it's nine years where the moms across America initiated the first glyphosate testing in America. And we tested our children's tap water, urine and breast milk and found really concerning crazy levels. Right. So we've been talking about glyphosate for a long time. Now you have many people have, and so farmers are starting to switch away from glyphosate, but some of them are also using other chemicals instead. So for this school lunch testing, we said, we can't just test for glyphosate. We've got to test for 220 of the most egregious pesticides as well, right? And we did that. And we got to test for veterinary drugs and hormones because they are, you know, shooting up the cows and the pigs and the chickens and all that with all kinds of stuff. What are our kids eating? We want to know. We also wanted to test for heavy metals because there's been heavy metals, very high levels of heavy metals found in baby food. And we figure, well, it probably doesn't just stop in baby food. It's probably in toddler food and children's food and adult food as well. So let's test for heavy metals in 
school lunches. And we also wanted to test for nutrients because our suspicion is that the higher the levels of pesticides, especially glyphosate, that's a chelator, right? That grabs onto the vital nutrients and makes them unavailable. Uh, most likely those foods with higher levels would, you know, would have lower nutrients. So that's sort of the background. We just wanted to get our, get a good understanding of what our children are eating at schools, because there's 30 million meals that are being, not just lunches, breakfast too, that are being served at our um, schools every day in America, probably even more than that now, because many of the meals are free and, you know, because of COVID and everything, they're just, kids are probably consuming even more now that they're free. And we are very concerned with the connection between the state of the school lunches and our children's health and behavior and their ability to learn. So we just wanted to suss that out. And, and the idea that school lunches, I mean, are kind of a, a gift, right? In terms of that being available to students, particularly those that can't, you know, who, who from a financial perspective, that's a real, real godsend. Of course. So, yes. So, so with this great program that's out there, that's available, you, you're centering on it because it is, while it's a gift and you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, while it's beneficial, so many kids are consuming them that it's important for the government to get it right. Right. Like it, these Absolutely. meals don't have to be perfect, but you've, you've revealed that it's not just that they're not as nutritious as they can be but there's real, real areas of, of concern. Yeah. And absolutely considering that it's the only food that many children eat. I mean, millions of children eat each day because they're so low income. I think it's in some schools, 60 to 70% of the kids qualify for free lunches. So that means they're so low income that when they go home, they probably don't have very nutritious food to eat. So it's very important to get this right. It's, it's very important. And I've been, I've traveled to countries around the world to talk about this topic and I'm, for instance, I went to Japan and the children in preschool were eating prawns and bright greens and beautiful, you know, locally grown rice and just, deli you know, just delicious, like gourmet level, level food. And I'm thinking, what the heck are we doing in our schools? Why aren't we doing better? What's going on here? What, what is the real state of our, our school lunches? So yes, that this is, this is not meant to just attack school lunches and, you know, have parents feel guilty about their child eating it. This is meant with a long-term image of transforming the food supply so that everybody, no matter what your income has access to healthy food. Okay. Like our great grandparents did. There, there was no GMOs. There was no glyphosate sprayed on the food supply. There were there. The food was all organic and healthy. Yep. And with two big points that you made there, uh, one that in the U S perhaps the quality of the food is much less than what at least you saw in Japan and what Absolutely. might be out there. So that that's one thing just for parents Absolutely. to take in. Mm -hmm. And in terms of this particular item, this 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 chemical, this uh, this uh, antibiotic glyphosate. If you've listened to the prior discussion with Zen, we went she went deep on explaining that last week. Uh, the episode before this was Dr. Se uh, Stephanie Seneff, and she went deep on it as well. But high level, just in terms of glyphosate, then, and I know you've been studying it for so long, as you mentioned, but for someone who's really just still early on, can you explain why this is such a, uh, a, a toxin above all toxins? Sure. Yeah. Just very briefly, it's the most widely used herbicide in the world. So first of all, the amount of it is staggering. It's 300 million pounds a year, 280 million of that on our food supply. And it does not wash, dry, or cook off. 
So it is on our food. It's there. It gets into the food. We are consuming it. And it's an endocrine disruptor, disrupting our hormones. It's a carcinogenic. It causes liver and kidney disease. And it has been shown very recently to destroy sperm in four different ways. And so thanks Monsanto for making our men sterile. Like it's real, that's a very serious concern. And also it's been shown very recently to androgenize female babies, to masculinize them. The anal genital distance, distance, the distance between the anus and the genitals gets longer when the mothers are exposed to glyphosate. And that is a masculine effect, like a, a um, you know, um, attribute that's a masculine attribute. So um, there are, and also, you know, miscarriages and birth defects and nervous system damage. And it's a neurotoxin. Glyphosate is a neurotoxin. How do we expect our kids to think properly in school or behave properly when they're consuming a neurotoxin on their food every day? Yep. You know, it's, it's a very serious issue. So that's I mean, glyphosate, you know, in a nutshell, it's, it's the most widely used. It's very, very hard. And it's very tricky to test for. You have to test just for glyphosate by itself because it is, um, it's so tricky and, and the way it chelates, it grabs onto the vital nutrients of any living thing, thing it touches and makes those vital nutrients unavailable. So it basically gives a plant AIDS is what, as how Dr. Don Huber phrases it. So it weakens its immune system so much that the normally harmless bacteria in the soil kills it. So you've got to wonder what it's doing to a human when it's in the, a human's body, right? And why we're all so sick and why our COVID symptoms were so uh, dramatic. Right. You've got to wonder about that connection. Yeah. Can we also just then, do you mind educating everyone on the different heavy metals that you tested? Because I think, you know, yes, we've talked a lot about glyphosate. We really haven't talked about a lot about heavy metals, but heavy metals are something that we've been paying attention to probably for the last 14 years as a family. And But I don't know if everyone kind of has that on their radar. I know they probably yes. saw like baby food, but beyond mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So, um, but before I go there, I just want to run down the results of the test result. Is that okay? okay. Just because yeah, we're on it. glyphosate. So yep. glyphosate, I just want to mention, uh, we'll finish up with glyphosate, but 95.3% of the school lunch samples were positive for glyphosate and AMPA. AMPA is the breakdown. It's even more toxic. And this is extremely concerning because only about 60 something percent of the samples tested from a grocery store, uh, most recently from the detox project were positive for glyphosate. 60%, but in our school lunches, 95.3%. Okay. So clearly our kids are getting the worst of the worst. Okay. And 74% of the samples contained at least one of 29 different harmful pesticides, 74%. And these other pesticides are also, you know, endocrine disrupting, carcinogenic, neurotoxic, all kinds of things. And nobody knows what the synergistic effect is of those different pesticides altogether, right. In the body. And then four veterinary drugs and hormones were detected in nine school lunch samples at levels up to over 130 parts per billion. And the lab technicians were shocked by that number. They'd never seen that high of a number. And that those are numbers coming from meat, okay? The, the chicken and the meat and the beef, the pork that was, that was tested. And, and th those veterinary drugs are really concerning to me. And I have like a personal connection to why it's so concerning. One, one of my best friends is a school counselor in a high school. And she's always telling me like, Sam, these kids are, they are really have problems. They, they really are, their, their mental stability is out of whack. And she said she had one girl who was 15 years old, came in her room, just bawling her eyes out. And she told her that she lactated in the shower that morning, her breasts began squirting milk. And I know it's very graphic, but this is what happened. She was 15 years old and she was not on, not pregnant, not on birth control. 
And I'm thinking, why would that happen now that we have these test results? I'm thinking, okay, wait a second. There are drugs here that cause cows to lactate. That's that's what these cows are being given. And so our children are eating these foods and then they have reproductive organ effects. And we wonder why they're acting so hormonal and, and can't focus in school, right? Well, I, I would I would submit that this is one of the reasons why. Probably why all a lot of girls are getting their period much At younger than nine years old. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's all kinds of hormones that are they're they're consuming. And why boys could have belly fat or breasts, you know, developing breasts, or maybe not have as much testosterone. And, you know, you know, there's all kinds of things. And then a hundred percent of the school lunch samples on um, which you wanted to get to contained heavy metals. And some of the levels were up 100%. to hundred percent, hundred percent. And some of the levels were up to 6,293 times higher than the maximum um, allowable levels that the EPA allows in drinking water, almost 7,000 times higher than what they allow in drinking water. Not all of them, some of them, um, but the other levels were, you know, all much higher than what, like, you know, 0.005 of, uh, I'll get to the heavy metals in a second. I'll go more into detail on that, but, um, you know, and then they have 94 parts per billion, right. Or 24, 46. So very high levels of heavy metals in the foods and, and, uh, and extremely concerning. We think that's all coming from the fertilizer that's being used from animals fed and confined animal factory feeding, you know, I mean, confined animal feeding lots and, uh, and the pesticides and chemicals, you know, that are, you also wonder if it's also transference from like the trays and things that things might be baked on or heated on. So like, you know, baking, you know, cookie sheet, whatever, if food's kind of directly on that, is there tra- transference of any kind oh, of, Oh, I didn't think of that. Metals. Yeah. yeah Cause that's, you know, that's where we always put like natural parchment down. I never let our food, if I'm baking touch mm-hmm. metal because I had read years ago, but that's where you just wonder, could it also be how it's prepared? Yes, it, it could be. Um, but what we found from the baby food testing, which is not, you know, on the yep. They said that it was mostly from the vitamins and the spices like cinnamon has, for some reason, very high levels of metals, uh, heavy metals. And Michael Hansen from consumer reports that I talked to specifically about this directly. Mm-hmm. He says he thinks that in third world countries, a lot of the machinery that's used to grind up these very hard, you know, like cinnamon is very hard, yep. um, uh, it, that they use lead and, and the metal of the gears that grind up the cinnamon. So, um, I'm really interested in getting more cinnamon tested because I think that is a major source of, 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 uh, lead. Um, uh, but the, the, the mad heavy metals that we tested for, and don't, don't let me forget to get back to nutrients, but let's yep. just at uh, the heavy metals now that you, we talked about. So the heavy metals that we tested for were arsenic, cadmium, lead, and mercury. Aluminum was not included in this panel because it is a whole separate thing, a whole nother, um, I believe we tested for aluminum with the minerals, but, um, didn't find very high levels, but what we found were uh, high levels of cadmium, which can cause kidney damage. And, um, and let's see, yeah. Um, a hundred percent of the school samples yet yeah, contested heavy metals levels up ranging between 0.5 parts per billion to 94. And the highest levels were found in cadmium, um, and, and with 46.8 parts per billion and 94 parts per billion of lead. So the, actually lead was the highest. And, 
And we know that these are neurotoxins. We know that they can cause cancer and cardiovascular disease. We know that they cause serious long-term, sometimes permanent health effects in children, like permanent, you know, it's, I hate to ever suggest that, but that's what the science is showing. And again, we believe these are the, these heavy metals are coming from the pesticides and herbicides, the petroleum based products that are used in agrochemical farming. And that these levels would not be present if you were purchasing food from a biodynamic or regenerative organic or, you know, an organic farmer that doesn't use um, manure from confined animal feeding out operations or, you know, pesticides like, uh, and, and herbicides like Roundup. Roundup has been proven by a French scientist to have high levels of arsenic in it and, and heavy, other heavy metals. Every almost, I think it was almost every sample that he tested had heavy metals in Roundup. So, you know, that every year, 280 million pounds of it on our food supply every year, you know, it's going to add up. They don't go away very easily. And, and, and that's why we're having this conversation. As you said, we're talking about neurotoxins here. So for the, for the people who are listening, if you're concerned about your child growing, developing child and brain health, I mean, if it's a neurotoxin, it is toxic to the brain. And so here there's no kind of safe level, but the, but the goal is to minimize as much as you possibly can. And uh, which is why the science that you've done, the study is so significant to really show what's there. And it's in many cases, it's not just a slightly over EPA established limits. It's, it's insanely like you can't even get your head around some of the levels um, that came up in your study. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I do want to point out that the baby food levels were even higher. They were like 600 or 900 parts, per like crazy levels in the baby food. So that really needs to be re researched. They need to sort out where that's coming from. And there's a lawsuit right now that if your child apes one of six different brands of baby food with these high levels in it um, and has autism, you can join into that lawsuit. That's Michael Baum, Hedlum, Aristide, and Goldman. And I would highly suggest people consider that because those levels of heavy metals in the baby food were astronomical. And, you know, at that young age, even much more impactful than school age children. You know what I mean? Because the, the baby's organs are not fully developed. Like you don't have kneecaps until you're three, right? So the organs are still developing and growing. And, and if you're being, you know, subjected to those kinds of heavy metals at that young of an age, um, then that needs to be something that's considered in addition to the toxins and vaccines, like in addition, I'm not saying instead of, but in addition to, right. This is like the cup have overfloweth of toxins from many different <laughs> ingredients. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so important is the whole idea of that, you know, you have a bucket or you have a cup mm -hmm. and it's like all of these things compound on each other. So paying attention to the lunches that our kids eat, paying attention to what goes in or on their bodies, like all of these things, we can make better decisions to set them up for success because I know the the stat at least that I'd read on epidemic answers is 54% of kids will be diagnosed with a chronic illness before they're 18. Um, and I know that was a couple of years old from a stat perspective, but mm -hmm. we are raising the sickest generation of kids, you know, to date. Yes, we are. And it's, and it's because of primarily, I believe because of the toxins, but it's also because of the lack of nutrients in the food. Yep. So I want to uh, touch on that. So we tested these samples, um, for, for nutrient density. And 
copper, magnesium, iron, sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium, phosphorus, selenium, and zinc. And, um, and one of our advisors reviewed the information and said the nutritional items are consistently very deficient in copper and also consistently deficient, but to a lesser extent in calcium, potassium, and phosphorus. Magnesium, zinc, and manganese are deficient in many of the samples, roughly about 50% of them. The only mineral that was consistent was iron. And, you know, that was good that iron was consistent, but it's not good enough that all the other ones were inconsistent um, or consistently deficient. And what's important to note out of this is that to have very low levels of copper um, can be contributing to autism. The, the autism patients that the doctors that I have spoken to, they point out that children with autism almost across the board, I, I, don't, I don't think they know of anybody that doesn't, has an imbalance of copper versus zinc. Copper and zinc together are very important. You probably, your listeners probably already all know this. Um, and there has to be a proper balance between them. And if one is very deficient, then that is indicative of a child having autism or, you know, being on the spectrum. So for our school lunch samples to be uh, consistently deficient in copper is a problem. And it's not something that most parents would think about like, oh, I have, I should be supplementing with copper because the, the food my child is eating doesn't have enough of it. Right. And I would say for anyone who's listening though, don't just go out and buy a copper supplement. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely work with your practitioner to kind of check your child's, that might be a good marker to kind of check in conjunction with the zinc and then Mm -hmm. work with a practitioner to figure out kind of how to bring that better into balance if there is an imbalance. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to probably be more of an integrated practitioner or a functional practitioner as opposed to a conventional doctor that this just may not be on their radar, but it definitely is an area um, the, the right practitioner will know where to focus. And um, then I'm not sure how many people really are aware of that. I mean, I think it's it's kind of well-known within certain circles within the autism community, but otherwise, I, I don't know how widely known or understood that is. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people know. One person that knew a lot about nutrition was Barbara Reed Stitt, and she wrote a book called Food and Behavior, The Natural Connection. She got, it was a 20-year study, and she got a Lifetime Achievement Award for it back in the late 80s, um, I think it was mostly early 90s and maybe some of the late 80s. And she studied a, um, a school and a prison system. And in, in that book, and it's fascinating, I'm telling you, it's, it's so important. She pointed out that, for instance, in a school of 5,000 kids that had a 500 person dropout rate every year, the students, 500 of them dropped out. When she switched over the foods to whole foods, and she didn't know probably that she was avoiding GMOs and you know, glyphosate back then, but she just switched over, you know, got rid of the soda and the candy bars and put in, you know, whole foods into that school system. The dropout rate went from 500 a year to 14. Yeah. And then in the prison system, the recidivism rate switched instead of 70% of the prisoners coming back again, you know, getting arrested again and coming back, 70% stayed out and only 30% came back. And she studied the criminals and the parolees and the serial killers. You know, she interviewed a lot of prisoners. And what she found, the number one thing that they all had in common was not their socioeconomic background, not their race, which most people would be surprised about. It was that they bragged that they lived on junk food, hmm. that they only had you know, certain microwavable foods, certain sodas, right? certain chips. That's it. That's all they ate. And, and she tested many of them, not all, all of them, but 
found that many of them had a deficiency in vitamin B and that their prefrontal cortex was not um, processing properly. And, and that study um, really points out, like really connects the dots with me for another study in Germany recently on hamsters. It was, I found it a couple of years ago in the Smithsonian Magazine. This is a real study, not making this up. There was a farmer that noticed a decline in ham, the hamster population in his monocrop cornfield. So we all know what monocrop means, right? That's GMO corn, it's probably sprayed with glyphosate. And he noticed a deficiency of, I mean, a decline in the population of hamsters. I guess he's a very caring farmer. And he asked the local college to come and study, you know, the university. So some scientists came out and they duplicated the study with the same hamsters, the same dirt, the same corn, you know, all that stuff in the lab and observed them and noticed that the female hamsters were cannibalistic. They were eating their young on the first day of life. And um, then they tested them and noticed that, found that the, these hamsters were completely deficient of vitamin B3. They had no vitamin B3 in their bodies and the precursor tryptophan too, which is for, for vitamin B3. So what they did was they administered vitamin B3 um, and the cannibalism completely stopped, completely. So that has me wonder, right? Um, what if we did more testing on children, as you just mentioned, please test them for their levels, find out what their vitamin levels are, find out what their mineral, their deficient in, in minerals and, and, you know, act accordingly. Right. And, and I would hope that it wouldn't just mean we're pumping our kids full of supplements. I would hope it would eventually mean that our food supply actually has vitamins in it. <laughs> you know, that we have transformed the way that we're growing the food and we're not spraying toxic chemicals that can, that can chelate those minerals out of the food. However, that we don't know exactly why they didn't have vitamin B3 in it. But if you talk to Stephanie Seneff, she has a very strong correlation between glyphosate and you know, vitamin B and vitamin D and all these different things. And it's not, I think it's not just that it's a chelator. There's other things going on in the gut with the hormones and, you know, things like that. I'm not a scientist, but that's why um, I want to plug, by the way, we have a, we have a new thing called the new MDs with regeneration international. And we, and I get to talk just like this with Stephanie Seneff and Dr. Michelle Perro, And I get to ask them, why yep. is this happening? You know? And so, yeah, I just want to let everybody know about that. That's once a month. Uh, Stephanie had mentioned that and we love it because we just had Dr. Piero on as well. So we Great. love that the there three of them are coming together. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. You know, yeah. Steph, it's so important. Like, you know, with that study, it just sparked something. When Rye was diagnosed with autism, I knew food was going to play like a major role in his foundation. I was raised with a brother who, um, was later in life was diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic. But when you went, when I went back and looked at like with the food that my brother consumed and loved, it was like frosted flakes, pizza, and like milk. And so that's where I'm just like, as I've learned all I can to support Ryan and then support the parents that I also support, like food is that foundation. And it would be amazing to, I would love to be able to rewind time to go back and support my brother with different food because, you know, this is really setting that foundation of health and wellness for our children. And it's probably why school systems cancel school the day after Halloween, because no one wants those behaviors that come in when all of our kids just eat candy yes. or, you know, yeah. or the teacher who hates teaching the class after lunch, because that is real. And you go ask any teacher, like that class after lunch is usually the most problematic. And so it's really starting to think about like, okay, how are all of these clues and behaviors going to help inform us to make better choices to kind of set 
them up for success by being mindful about what goes in their body. Yeah, very good point. And your brother that ate those foods across the board, the parents I talked to with autism or behavioral issues, their kids are very picky and they will only eat certain cereals, certain, you know, they crave milk, they crave cheese, they crave wheat, they crave sugar. And I have to say that it's not them that's craving it. It is their gut bacteria. There is gut bacteria in their gut that feeds on that sugar and dairy and wheat. And it will tell the brain, it will send signals to the brain. This is what I want. And if I don't get it, I will do things like bang my head against the refrigerator wall. I will scream, I will throw a fit. And so it's literally a food addiction. It is an addiction to that, that feeds their gut bacteria. So uh, parents that are at wit's end, like my kid will only eat this and they will only eat that. They have to know that that is the vicious cycle of that behavior that they have. You have to break the cycle in order to get the behavior to go in a new path. And that means a very difficult time of saying, no, I am not buying that food. I am not bringing that food into my house. We are going to transition to another food. And if you're going to throw a fit for a little while, or if you're going to try to starve yourself for a little while, we're going to have to just get through this together. It's when you give your kid a hug and it's like, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets better a little bit. You know, this is like anybody's done a detox with their kid. The rash gets worse and they, right. some people stop. No, no, no. you got to go all the way through it. It gets worse yep. before it gets better. And once it gets better, the light at the end of the tunnel, you've transitioned your kid from that, you know, dairy, homogenized, pasteurized dairy milk over to, um, let's say hemp milk or, you know, something else then that's, or at least organic milk, you know, if you've switched over and I don't know if that would work for some people, but it, it has for my children now, now they can have wheat and dairy and eggs. And, um, we still avoid nuts a little bit, but you know, they can have all those foods. They had allergies to them before, but now they can have them because we addressed their gut. We went hundred percent organic. We eliminated sugar for a period of time. And now their guts can handle this very same foods that they were allergic to before, as long as they're organic. So it's, but it's got to be cold turkey for a while because you can't put a teaspoon of oil on a fire, fuel on a fire and expect the fire to go out. You've got to yeah. stop putting the fuel on the fire altogether. Could be a couple months, could be a year. I don't know what it, you know, but you, you've got to do cold turkey for at least a, maybe two months, I would say, before you can start, the gut can start to heal itself and to recover. Yeah, at least, at least two months. At least, but, yeah. And that's got to be so... It's got to be so daunting for a certain parent to hear that. And I think to do something like that, to go cold turkey or or full force, there's also like the way you're doing it, right? Like mm-hmm. in, in a sense that you want to create as much safety as possible. And some of these kids, you know, may not be ready for it. So you, maybe you ease into it with that goal of eventually doing it. So yeah, like, maybe you do enough? half and half, like some dairy milk and some hemp milk. You know, Maybe you're mixing in the milk, you know what I mean? Then you slowly wean them out of it. And then they don't even know after a little while that they're, they're not having that same milk. Yeah. You know? And maybe it's water, right? So you have the ability to water. kind of just dilute it, right? Yep. So fake, yeah. Fake cheeses. Yeah. There's plenty of, I mean, I'm not, as long as it's organic, you know, if you can find a fake organic cheese, then maybe, but you know, maybe. like there's things you can right. transition away from. Right. And that's, you know, meeting, meeting the child where they are leveraging what they may like, but making it more nourishing. That is possible for our listeners, just to give them a little bit of background about how many lunches did you guys test? And from, were they across the country? Like, what did that look like from um, what was tested? We tested 43 school lunch samples. So different items, like some were, you know, was a chicken sandwich or a corn dog or 
a meatball, breaded meat, meatball, pizza, burger, sweet potatoes, fries, you know, different, different items from the school lunch. They came from 18 different locations. So many people sent multiple samples. So we really appreciate the students that did that. And, um, and they came from yet 15, it was 15 different, different states. We, we wish that there were more, but, um, some people just didn't, we had a deadline. The deadline was for, to send in the results to, to the White House National Nutrition Conference. It was the first one that was happening in 50 years and it happened on September 28th. So um, we had that very short window from when people came, went back to school, you know, around September 1st to, to we had like a one week window to get these samples or two, you know, because it took two weeks to test and we needed a couple of days to actually write the report. So it was kind of a rushed job. And we still, I'm sure could use more analysis on the results from experts. Um, but we just, we put out what we had and we're like, look, this is, this is the assessment, you know, dive into it yourself. But um, yeah, these school lunches, um, the, the school lunches need a major trans transformation. And the problem is for your, for some of your listeners, they may be thinking, well, um, maybe we should just ask the school to source locally and, you know, local farms and, and all of that. You can try that. And in some schools that will work, there's a school out in like Malibu area, you know, wealthy district, or maybe not that wealthy, but they had an intact school cafeteria. So they still had mixers and stoves and, you know, you know, areas where they could chop up food and things like that. A lot of schools now have been stripped of that. They only have the microwave or the oven to heat things up and the trays to serve it. They, they, they just get the food from the federal program, heat it up, and sometimes in plastic bags, they heat, heat the food up in plastic bags, and then that means there's going to be phthalates in there that affect the hormones, and then they serve it to the kids. So this is really a problem that the federal um, school lunch program has to address like federally, because most, in most cases, locally, um, the parents are going to have a very difficult trying time trying to get the school, you know, the, this, the food to change because it's a federal program. Um, but you can bring in your own organic school lunches and on our website on momsacrossamerica.org, we, we crunch the numbers and we found things that like, if you make your own pizza and the kid brings in say half of a small pizza, you know, so that's like two slices even or more, it would cost about $3 and 68 cents. Um, for a, a bowl of rice and beans, it would cost a dollar 66. This is all organic. Um, now if you're going to give them these, the, so the things we have on here, like three chicken tacos would cost four eighty dollars and 81 cents it would cost more. So some of these things are more like dinner items, actually, that we had information that we had sourced for dinner items but we wanted to put on here just as an example. So you could for about 30 bucks or less provide your kids with organic school lunches and uh, per month, that's, you know, $130 a month. And, and to contrast that we posted a comparison list of what you could take out of your budget in order to have the $130 work with like a 12 pack of soda a couple times a month or chips or cookies or ice cream sandwiches or fun size candy bars or cheesecake. You know, you just take some of those things out of your, uh, out of your monthly grocery budget. And suddenly you have room for organic lunches. Yeah, you can, if, you if can it, do it. If it's your intent, you, you can, you can make it work and great that you yeah. have that information and those resources available. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's really just understanding the opportunity or why it's such a problem, which is why, again, your study really pointing to, this is not a minor thing. You know, this is, and it, and by no means are the school lunches the 
the you know like uh, the biggest source because I mean as Cass mentioned right you, you, it's coming from a lot of different areas and if we're only focusing on food we a lot of cl- the clients that we coach and what we hear from people like even before before they can do the detox that you mentioned they kind of need a detox initially off of fast food because the Chick-fil-A yeah. and the the fast food addiction is so strong that like it's almost like you need that step first to just get off yeah. of the or fast just food. soda just just get soda out like that is that the, you, that's a very high sugar content that you really develop a craving for so you just do one thing that just soda first get soda out and then stop buying candy bars you know like candy in the house and then maybe switch the chips to organic chips you know you can still do chips you know mm-hmm. and there is still organic candy but you know we want to get the sugar out as much as possible and, yeah, and get rid of the gmo oils like canola yes, thank you. And, yes. yeah. yeah you know yes. go yes. switch to, if you're buying a chip buy an avocado oil chip or something mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. clean not you know not best but definitely better so this is yeah. where yeah yeah or banana chips right? Something that's still got that crunch. Yeah. Yeah, Plantains. Yeah. There's still, yeah. Yeah. So, but you mentioned how, what a major deal this is. I want to give an an example of that. Okay. How this happened. So we had a, and I may have shared this in the first interview with you. I'm not sure, but just for your listeners, you're listening today. Now I want to tell the story again. I can't get it out there enough. So there was a woman from Santa Ana, California, low-income area, Hispanic area that called me. And she said her friend was in the room she wanted to share this. She was passionate about that, calling me and sharing the story with me um, because uh, a school shooting had just happened. And she found out about, um, you know, what was going, what we were doing, our work with GMOs and, and glyphosate in the food supply. And she wanted us to know something. And she said, what, what happened in her family was when her son was about eight or nine years old, um, she knew for many years they had mental health issues and she had told the school and they would not do anything about it. And then when he was about eight or nine years old, the school called her and said, you need to come pick up your son because he just threatened to blow up the school with a bomb and kill everybody in it. And she said, okay, well, I told you he had mental health issues and I need help. And they said, okay, well, we'll, I guess we'll have to send him to a psychologist um, or is it psychiatrist, whichever the ones that can administer drugs. Okay. So psychiatrist. Okay. So she sent him, had an assessment and a psychiatrist said, um, here's his medication. And she said, that's it. You know, it was an SSRI. And, and he said, well, it's either this, or you look at what you're feeding him. Have you considered the food that you're feeding him? Like, you know, let me know what you're feeding. And so she said, well, I'm feeding him, you know, hot dogs and, and pizza and tacos and burritos, like whatever I can get into him, you know, just and he said, well, have you considered the, the pesticides and the toxins and the food additives and the food dyes that are in the food? And she's like, no, I've just been, you know, single mom, four kids, just trying to get whatever I can into them. And he said, well, you can either ha- give him this medication or you can go organic. And she said, okay, well, I will go organic. I mean, this is an amazing psychiatrist, right? I was going to say. Goosebumps. Like this psychiatrist needs to be like. Yes. Yes. Got to clone this person. <laughs> yes. So she went organic rice and beans, you know, like she found a way. And within two weeks, one of the teachers called her and said, we don't know what you're doing with your child, but he is a completely new human being. Keep doing it. And she said, I'm calling you now because he's 17 and I know that he could go, you know, if not now, very soon to like Walmart, go to Walmart and buy a, a gun. And he would be one of those kids shooting up kids in his school. Yeah. She's like, I just know that. But he's not now because he's been eating organic for whatever number of years. 
He's responsible. He's happy. He's even working with the school system to put community gardens in and school gardens and, and, you know, in the community and at the schools. And she's like, I just want you to know how important this is. And I said, you know, the fact that you found out about these, you know, she didn't know it at the time, but GMOs and, you know, and glyphosate and, you know, everything that was going on in the food supply created a new future for him. And by creating a new future for him, you created a new future for thousands of people because he didn't go and shoot a people at his school. That a school shooting affects thousands of people, their parents, their siblings, their friends, their family. And, you know, and so you created a new future for our country by doing that. You know, the, the outreach, the spread of that action is very far reaching. So, you know, she was really moved. I was really moved. You know, this is just the impact of this work is it's, it's just incalculable, you know, and, and it's invaluable. How can you put a value on a child being able to live out his fullest, fullest potential, invent something or create something like school gardens, right? How can you put a value on that? You know, a child not being depressed and being interactive and happy and having a loving childhood. That's priceless. You know, that, that absolute, that is priceless. And this is where, like, I keep saying like food for me is one of those elements for, especially if you have a child who's diagnosed with autism and probably regressive autism, where you have an opportunity to go from a disability to a superpower. And so like these kids have so much potential, but it's also setting them up for success and paying attention to what goes, like I said, in or on their bodies. Like it can make such a difference. And what Len and I have witnessed, you know, through our own family, but also through the parents that we've supported are things changing so drastically from kids who are disconnected, not talking, not no affection whatsoever to now, you know, families being able to go on vacation. I love you thriving in school, like lives can change. And it's just being, you know, starting by being inconvenienced but making better choices each and every time you have an opportunity to feed your child. Yeah. And, and, and the keep looking at what is what you're feeding your child and what the effects might be on them and have them being alert too. If they're of a, you know, old enough to be aware of that. I remember when my son Bodie was, um, he wanted to eat school lunches every Friday, you know, his other brothers didn't, they had more severe allergies and he thought it was like a treat. I was like, okay, whatever. He doesn't have as many allergies as the rest of the kids. So when he was in like, I don't know, third grade or whatever, you know, I let him do that. And he, um, I started to notice that on Fridays after he had that school lunch, he would get in fight with his younger brother. And then he would lose his Saturday morning cartoon privileges. And it was happening pretty consistently. And I'm like, well, I wonder if there's a connection there. And I asked him, he's like, no, that's not it. And then the next Friday comes around, he has a fight with his brother and he loses his privilege. And it, that happened two or three times. And by the, you know, third or fourth time, he was like, you know, nah, Never mind about, you know, when I was went to give him the money for school. No, I'm never mind. I'm not going to, I'm going to pack my own lunch today. And so he, he never had school lunches again. So, you know, it, having the child be aware of how the food is impacting them is, is incredibly important as well. And give you peace of mind as parents, because they're making smarter choices. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, they have the opportunity to know what it is like to feel good in their body versus like, Ooh, I'm feeling a little bit more, you know, triggered or whatever, not as good in their body. And it can happen very quickly. It can happen in days, definitely yeah. within weeks. And we've noticed that with pesticide testing within two weeks, uh, one week, I would think it was 70% of the glyphosate and pesticides were out of the body. And within two weeks, almost hundred percent. 
So um, it can happen quickly. You can do it. You'll notice a difference right away. The first difference you'll probably notice is that your child will be sleeping better. And when they sleep better, their mood will be better. They'll be less argumentative. They'll be more calm. They'll be more attentive. They might make more eye contact, things like that. And you'll start to notice more of a calmness in them. And, um, and, and to do this, make deals with your kids, right? Like if you're going to take out the sugar and you give them fruit instead, be like, I'll make a deal with you instead of having, you know, like at the, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't bring them to the grocery store if you're going to be doing this, but if you, you know, whatever it is that you're eating, maybe you're at a friend's house and they want to have this, I'll make a deal with you. You have this instead, you know, this other food instead. And, you know, when we get home, you'll be able to, I don't know, play with the kitten for blah, blah, whatever minutes, you know what I mean? Or you'll be able to do something fun with your dad, play a game with your dad or something. Try not to use food as the, as the reward, but you know, some type of activity that they really enjoy. Um, hopefully that's outside in nature and not in front of a screen, right. But have something fun that they can do and make a deal. And when you keep making deals with them, then they feel like, Hey, I did this. I accomplished something. And guess what? I feel better. Right. They start to connect the decision that they made and there's fairness around it because you're making a deal with them. So they feel like it's fair. They don't feel like they're being forced. So yeah, there's a lot of psychology in this. (laughs) And that's why podcasts like you are so important because we need to think about how are we communicating, you know, and how, how do we, how are we making other people feel when we communicate this and how, you know, what's our role in all of this? Well, and then to that point, I think it's also really important. Maybe you have a child who is more affected and you think maybe isn't paying attention. I also say explain, explain, explain to those kids because one I've witnessed with my own eyes, even though you think they're not paying attention, they are. And so for you to explain, hey, I am taking away Cheetos and Mm -hmm. I am going to replace them with X. I am doing this because I want you to feel better in your body. Like over explain even when you think your child's not paying attention. Yeah. Which is a new, um, sort of parenting tactic for many of us because our parents didn't explain. They just said, Oh, we're eating that and (laughs) shut up and sit down and you're not leaving the table until you finish that. Like they didn't, a lot of our parents, you know, I don't want to call anybody out, but like they just, you know, did not explain things. So this is a new tactic and a new frontier (laughs) for many of us. But it also helps get the parents' nervous system on board because like they know their why they're choosing to make different decisions, but okay, I'm going to, I know my why I'm going to restate it. So you understand it too. And then it almost becomes a little bit more of a contract um, between the parties too. So yeah, it's a a different ball game now. And, 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 and truly it's all about empowerment. And our kids, even though we're the parents and we get to make the rules, I mean, the more they can actually be involved, have a say to to own it to some degree, if you can find that that sweet spot, you know, through negotiating or through uh, bargaining, whatever the case may be, um, the, the odds of success go way up. And, and ultimately, you know, having what you're hoping, which is a more happy, connected kid. Um, yes. and, and for anyone who says food, it's a bunch of nonsense. It really doesn't make a difference. I mean, it's just so clear the impact that food has. And if, if someone says, hey, eating organic, that's nonsense. If it, if that was an issue, then there'd be a lot of sick kids. I mean, look at it, look around, look at all the evidence. And it's amazing how people don't wait, you know, open their eyes to seeing all the evidence around them of how truly sick our kids are getting. Yeah. And, you know, and I want to point out that my doctor that I brought my son to when he had autism symptoms and high levels of glyphosate in his urine. And that's when we started the glyphosate test and we found that out. 
And I told him about glyphosate and I, you know, decided to go glyphosate free, you know, totally hundred percent organic, everything in the house for six weeks. And we recovered him, right. His, his, the glyphosate was no longer in his body after six weeks and his autism symptoms had disappeared and, you know, very few symptoms after that for the rest of his life. So he said, yeah, I've been advising my patients. He was an autism doctor and we were going to him, not because my son had autism. We didn't know anything about that before we were going to him because he did spaced out vaccines. So, um, we, we, um, which we don't do anymore, but anyway, we, um, he said that he has been advising his parents, uh, to feed the patients, to feed their kids gluten-free and dairy-free, but not organic. So he said, I'm going to start doing that now. But what I want to point out is that organic has to include gluten-free because the testing in Canada showed that the gluten-free foods had higher levels of glyphosate than conventional. And that's because of the ingredients, the, the peas, the lentils, the garbanzo beans, the corn, the soy, um, it, they can have very high levels of glyphosate and they don't wash off. So I have a dear friend I just talked to whose family has celiacs and she's been eating gluten-free, but I'm pretty sure that it's not organic. And she has, a she has anxiety and health issues and so I have to check back in with her if the gluten-free that she is eating, you know, is also organic. It's very difficult to find that. And we really need a whole initiative. Like I want to do more testing just on gluten-free foods across the board to see, I think the levels are high in glyphosate. And I think we need a major transformation in, in that sector of the marketplace. Well, and that's where like going gluten-free shouldn't just be buying the processed shit that is labeled gluten-free. Yes. And this goes to like reading those ingredients because so much gluten-free, this is where I'm thankful for my son's corn and soy allergy because it kept us away from any of those processed foods and it made us go back to true ingredients. And so being really mindful of what might be in what you think is, I went gluten-free and it didn't work. It's like, well, you went from process to process. And maybe there's a way to go on. And it might be fun then down the road. Like, do we do a 30-day bring, you know, four weeks of school lunches and give them everyone ideas of what to pack their kids and just like see what the benefit of, you know, do an ATEC before, do an ATEC after and see what mm. that could be for families. Um, because I think something like that would be a really interesting um, kind of test to kind of check in with people, um, the benefits that they're seeing. That would be really great. More beneficial for kids with people with young kids whose yep. young kids still eat the school lunches that you make for them. Cause my kids won't anymore. They, they make their own school lunches. So I can't tell them what to eat for 30 days for school lunch. They'll just be like, mom, I'm making whatever I want. So they're, yeah, they're old enough to do that. Now they make their right. own school lunches, but it's all organic ingredients that we have in our household. So we don't care what it is, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's grade school, but something, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Younger get age. Everyone aligned and motivated. So. That's great. Yeah. Good idea. There's a lot of great things we can do. Please go to our website, momsacrossamerica.org and um, join our newsletter because then you'll get an invitation on Mondays to join our Moms Connect calls on Monday nights. It's almost every Monday night. Sometimes we take a holiday off or something like that or travel, but um, almost every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. And we also have some 7 to 7.30 is the Moms Connect call. And we talk about issues like vaccines and GMOs and glyphosate and EMFs, you know, wireless radiation is a whole nother thing. Um, and then at 7.30, we have a call with our Neighborhood Food Network. It's a new initiative, and it's all about creating a parallel food system. So we're creating, we're getting neighbors together, kind of like the Neighborhood Crime Watch program, 
but we're getting neighbors together to talk about growing food on their street to create local food security and of course, health and community one street at a time. And, uh, and it's a very effective program that's connecting neighbors, bridging the political divide, um, opting out of the toxic food system and creating local food security, which is a very important thing to consider. If the power goes out, uh, there's no backup plan for <laughs> where we're going to get our food from. And, and it only takes nine missed meals for a person to resort to violence to feed their family. So in that case, we want our neighbors to be our partners, not a threat, right? And so cons- check out, consider checking out the Neighborhood Food Network as, as well with us. Fantastic. Well, Zen, again, we really appreciate you coming on. And I know my thinking has shifted a lot over the last year, especially because I always used to think organic. Yeah, that's important, but there's a lot of other things with food because food can be so confusing. Mm -hmm. But really, just if you're looking for a simple strategy, one thing to do, if you just go organic fully, I mean, it's easy, but it's simple. And, And the impact of that, at least in my mind, has gone from being, hey, that's important to, you know, it might be the most important move you can make with yeah. respect to food. And, I, and so I appreciate everything you and your organization do and are continuing to do that has made that much clearer for me. I appreciate it. I like that you said simple because I cannot remember the clean 15 or the dirty dozen. I'm sorry, I can't. I, I got too many other things going on in my head. So I just buy organic <laughs> just to make it easy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thank you so much. It was great being with you. I so appreciate what you are um, both doing to support this community that really needs support right now. We're all dealing with a lot of very difficult issues and to have support from a loving couple, you know, that, that, um, you know, has our children's best interest at heart is um, very heartwarming. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. And, and and we're just honored to be able to be having a partnership with uh, tremendous lights like you are for, for our kids. Cause you know, right now with everything that's going on, we need people who are fighting for them and trying to get this information out there. And I know that you probably didn't get welcomed with open arms by the U.S. government of this study, (laughs) but I'm hoping that this has now at least started a process by which um, some real change can happen. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's great to talk to you and I hope to talk to you again soon. Want to discover your top autism parenting blind spot? Take our free quiz today. Go to allinparent.com slash go.